Take your Bibles out this morning, if you would please, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Several Wednesday nights ago, we were studying through Philippians chapter 4, and uh, we were covering various themes, and uh, some in the crowd that were there that Wednesday night asked me if I would address some of these items on a Sunday morning once we began the new year. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to begin to address uh, a couple of those things. We're going to talk about prayer and our thought life uh, this morning. And uh, uh, very soon we're going to be jumping back into our series on the book of Colossians. And so I would ask you to once again be studying chapter 3 and chapter 4 of that book. Uh, now, I'm for the invitation time this morning, Brad Cloys. I think, Brad, I'm going to ask you to come and stand here and receive any that might come forward. Uh, I feel lousy. You know, I keep threatening uh, with the staff one of these Sunday mornings. Uh, I'm going to call them and say, Kevin, guess what? You're on this morning. You're preaching. You better have one in your back pocket. Uh, this morning may have been one of the mornings to have done that. Uh, I, I just, I don't think you want to come forward and be around me. That's why I wasn't shaking hands with uh, people. But uh, anyway, I'll ask you to do that. And if I don't speak to you at the end of the service, it's not because I'm being a snob. I just don't want you to get whatever I've got. So uh, anyway, this morning we want to uh, look at consistent prayer and consecrated thinking. And so would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? Consistent prayer and consecrated thinking. Notice what Paul says there, uh, beginning in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. You anxious about anything as this new year begins? Do not be anxious about any, anything. Well, what's the answer then? He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Look at verse 7. I love this promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Father, I pray that our lives indeed would be characterized By consistent prayer and consecrated thinking. May we hold every thought captive to Christ. Lord, your word tells us what a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Lord, I pray that you would help us give attention this year to our thought life, to our prayer life. And that through this, you would give us strength in the inner man so that outwardly we could bear the fruit that will bring you honor and praise. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
In 2 Kings chapter 5, there's a story tucked away in the pages of the Old Testament that continues to be one of my favorites. It's about a man named Naaman. Naaman was not an Israelite. He was a Syrian. And of course, through the years, the Syrians were pesky neighbors to Israel. And, and yet the Bible says that the Lord had allowed Syria to have a great deal of success through the hands of Naaman and his military exploits. But over his life, there hung a dark cloud. And you'll remember what that dark cloud was. It was the cloud of leprosy. And there was a little servant girl that he had that told Naaman's wife to tell Naaman to go down to Israel to see Elisha the prophet. And there in Israel he could find healing from the Lord. And so he went down there to see Elisha. And you'll recall Elisha did not even come out to meet him. But he sent his servant out to meet him. And uh, Naaman was furious about that. And he was furious about the instructions that he needed to do in order to be healed. And he was ready to turn away. In fact, he did turn away in anger. And finally, his servants prevailed upon him to go back and to obey, to do what the servant of God, the prophet of God, told him to do. And he dipped in the Jordan River seven times, and he came up clean. He wanted blessing in his life. He wanted joy in his life. He wanted healing. He wanted peace. And he was about to forfeit the very thing that he wanted. Because of disobedience. And when he obeyed God, God blessed his life. Obedience. Oftentimes we have our own thoughts as to what life is supposed to be like. Sometimes we cost ourselves what we desire most because we're not willing to do things God's way. We may think of obedience as applying to the big areas of life, but we fail to see that it also matters in the small areas of life. Paul has been writing to the Philippians about joy. The theme of joy shows up time and time again in this letter. But folks, joy is the product of obedience. You may wonder why I started an illustration about prayer and consecrated thinking with obedience. It's because, it's because uh, if we are to obey God in those areas of our life and, and joy and peace and strength is going to come as we do what God tells us to do. In chapter 4, Paul is giving instructions to the church as to what Christians must do if we truly want joy and peace in our lives. And two of the topics that he addresses on this subject matter has to do with our prayer lives and our thought lives. Now, I would assume that everyone in here hopes for a joyous and a peaceful year. But are we willing to do the things that bring joy and peace? Again, these verses only address two areas, but they're two critical areas. We see that the steadfastness of our prayer life and the discipline of our thought life will result in a greater degree of joy and peace. 
And so in an economy of words on the apostles' part, we see two actions that will definitely be a blessing to us. First of all, this morning we see the, the kind of praying that will bless your life. The kind of praying that will bless your life. He says here again, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We are to cease from worrying by engaging in prayer. It's like Jesus said in Luke 18.1. He told a parable that men ought always to pray and not to faint. You pray so you won't faint. You pray so you won't be consumed with worry. I'm glad as we sit here this morning, we cannot see some of the situations that we will face this year. None of us knows that. We, we live in a fallen world and we know in a fallen world there's always going to be trials and tribulations to endure. And so there's many things that could cause us to fret. Many things that could cause us to worry. And some people do that. Some people do everything but pray when they're worried. Someone wisely once said that worry reigns over far more people than any president or king ever did. We all know how to worry. Have you ever stopped to consider the fact that worry is something you don't have to be taught to do, you don't have to be trained to do, it's like it comes naturally. Think about the uselessness of worry. It really doesn't accomplish a thing. In fact, psychologists have said we tend to worry about things that never even come to pass. Brian Harbour writes, Worry is a sin because it is based on the assumption that God is not able to take care of our lives. Worry, he writes, is a theological problem and the solution is to expand our concept of God to recognize that He is able to do far more than we could ever ask or even think. What's Paul's point here? Paul's point here is be anxious for nothing. Worry or anxiety comes from a word that means to be pulled in different directions. And that's exactly what worry does. It pulls us apart. The old English word meant to choke or to strangle. And that's a good description of what worry does. It chokes the life out of us. It strangles the life out of us. And anxiety fails to take into account to whom we belong. We belong to our Heavenly Father. Anxiety fails to take into account also the promises of God. He's promised to take care of the very lives that he's created. That's Jesus' point in Matthew 26. Uh, I mean uh, Matthew uh, 6 beginning in verse 25 that we don't need to worry because God's given us our lives and if he's done the greater which is life, he'll do the lesser which is look after the necessities of your life. We're valuable to God. We don't have to worry. I want you to think for a moment about where our value comes from. 
Now, society says our value comes from our looks or our income or what we do for a living or where we live or who our friends are. You see, all of those things are performance-driven. And that's one of the reason people, uh, reasons people worry so much. They worry whether or not they will measure up to society's standards. Will I make the grade? Will I be accepted? But folks, what, what value does Scripture assign to human life? Well, Scripture says that we are created in the imago dei, the image of God, and that's the starting point of our value. Not only are we created in the very image of God, but we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so God is our creator and God is our redeemer. Now that ought to say something to you about your worth. You say, what's all that have to do with worry? It has everything to do with worry. Because if we were to think for a moment that there was no God... And even if there was a God, he didn't care one iota about us, then we would have every reason to worry about life. But knowing he's there, we're created in his image, we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that means he's not going to allow anything to come into our lives that hasn't, first of all, been sifted through his loving fingers. And that means I don't have to fret over everything in the world, and you don't either. The very things that worry us, Paul is saying here, the very things that worry us are to be those specific things that we make prayer requests in our prayer lives. The worries you have in life. We know what it's like. We put people, certain people on our prayer list who, who need a healing touch, who need to get well. They're going through something. Well, folks, try putting on your prayer list this year the very things that you are worried about in your life. Make that a point of your intercessions also. He uses three words here, prayer, supplication, and then he says with thanksgiving. The prayer, the word for prayer, the general word, and it also includes the fact that when we go before God in prayer to make our request known, there's to be this element of worship and praise and adoration. When we go before God in prayer, our thoughts ought to first of all be directed to God. And then he says supplication, specific request. And then he, he says as you do this, don't forget gratitude. Gratitude because the very things that you're praying over that have you worried may be the things that God is using in your life to conform you to the image of Christ. So Paul is saying be thankful for even those things. When you're worried, take some time to get alone with God and worship Him and tell Him all about what is worrying you. And before you leave, before you get up off of your knees, don't forget to thank God. Also, I want you to think about something else. Anxiety accomplishes nothing. In fact, it's unhealthy. 
And it communicates a lack of trust in God that he'll take care of you. And so anxiety in and of itself does nothing for you and it communicates a very negative and insufficient trust in God's ability to look after his own. But look at the promise in verse 7. He says, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension or understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice what he says there about the peace of God. It surpasses all understanding. In other words, you can't, you can't put it into words. Paul's not talking here about a kind of peace that occurs in your life when everything is going well. Because that kind of peace is understandable. He's talking about the kind of peace of God that God will give you even in the midst of your troubles. It is the gift of God. You can't work it up. You can't work for it. And once having the peace of God about a certain matter, you can't explain it in human words. Human words can't do it justice. Human language cannot reach that high of a plateau. He says here that his peace will guard your hearts and your minds. That word guard was used of a military encampment, a military battalion that would surround a city. Same word used in a military concept. You see, if you will obey, verse 6, the Bible says that God will set the guard of peace over your life. God will set up his watch over your life and he will minister his watchful eye and his graceful touch to your life. And when God sets up his watch over you, the enemy can't come close. So what has you concerned? There's an old hymn that says, Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we will not carry everything to God in prayer. Scripture says, Cast all your burdens upon the Lord, for He cares for you. You may have trouble believing that, but God's Word says it. He cares for you. He's concerned about what is in your life, whether you're consciously aware of it or, or not. Now, there's another observation to make here. Paul didn't say that you would necessarily have the petitions of God that you ask for. You may or may not. God may think it better not to give it to you. God may think it better to give you something else. But through it all, God gives you peace. You know, I think of an example of this would be how the Lord Jesus prayed for that cup to be removed from him. God didn't remove the cup, but God gave him the strength to go through the cross. I think of the Apostle Paul. He asked, he asked God to remove that thorn in the flesh. God didn't, but God said, I'm going to give you my grace, which will be sufficient for you. And so whether you get the petition you asked for or not, because you may not be asking according to the will of God, nonetheless God will give you his peace and it will be a blessing to your life notice again what he says here and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus 
Secondly, I want you to see the kind of thinking that will elevate your spirit. The kind of thinking that will elevate your spirit. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now folks, if you lived in the first century world, especially in in the Greco-Roman world, where the gospel first spread to, here's what you could expect to see. Rampant sexual immorality with temple virgins that or temple prostitutes, I should say, that formed an integral part of religious rites. Prostitution by both men and women was a well-recognized institution. Slave girls often fell victim to this debauchery. To gain money, some men would prostitute out their wives and their children. Most of society accepted homosexual behavior. As we know from excavations at Pompeii, obscene pictures and carvings often decorated the exterior walls to homes. Divorce was easy, it was frequent, and it was acceptable. In fact, divorce documents are some of the most numerous fragments of manuscripts and papyri that archaeologists discover today. Murder was common. Parents would often expose their infants to the elements, abandoning them out in the city forum or on a hillside or in an alley. They had all kinds of gambling and betting, chariot races and things of that nature. They had gladiatorial shows. Gladiators might be slaves or criminals or captives or or even volunteers. Once an entire arena was flooded and a naval battle was acted out. 10,000 lives were sacrificed. And throughout the course of the day in another arena, they had to continually uh, change out the sand from time to time throughout the day with all the fighting and battles going on because of the blood-soaked sand. And they did all of this for entertainment. So the fact of the matter is the ancient world was filled with a lot of vices just like our world today. In such a culture, the mind is hammered by things. The mind, the thought life. And what Paul is saying here, Christians are not to let our thoughts aimlessly wander to all things out there in the world. After talking about prayer, 
prayer to God, he's talking about what our minds need to be focused on. He's speaking here about the importance, first of all, of proper thinking. Paul says here, think on these things. He is commanding very careful thought for the child of God. What do you dwell upon? What do you entertain with your thoughts? Could you say that your thoughts are Christian thoughts? Now, we'll come to what he meant by these things in a moment, but before we do, I want you to stop and consider his command to think. What does society say? Society says, how does it make me feel? Society's driven by emotions a lot. Very few stop and think, is it right or wrong? But instead they ask, how do I feel about this? And emotions become a guide for many. But the Bible says the human heart is desperately wicked. Who can trust it? Society is also driven by utilitarian purposes. Will it work? But you know what? There's a lot of unchristian things that work. That doesn't make them right. Instead, we are to think on the right things and then allow emotions to follow, not the other way around. And so Paul says, think on these things. And it's ongoing. Dwell and keep on dwelling. Continually dwell on these things. And he uses a word, logismi, from which we get a mathematical word, logarithm. What Paul is commanding is the same kind of deliberate, prolonged, analytical contemplation of of these virtues just like you would do solving a mathematical problem using your mind to solve that mathematical problem he's saying use that same type of mental focus in dwelling on these things Now we're going to get into these things in a moment again but I want to look at your sermon notes page some things I've Given you there about the thoughts. We're called on in Scripture to think in order to arm ourselves for spiritual battle. 1 Peter 1.13 says, gird up the loins of your mind. That's a picture of getting yourself ready mentally, being alert. They would, they would gather up, they would reach down, even the men wore long flowing robes, and they would reach down, and from the back, they, they would, from the front, they would reach to the back, and they would gather up the robe, and they would pull it up between their legs, and wrap, pull, pull it up, and tuck it into their waistband, and tighten their waistband around it, and their legs were then free for action to gird up, meant that, that, that you, were, you were ready, you were prepared for work or athletics or action. And Paul is saying that same kind of mental preparedness that you use in everyday life, you need to also apply to, to Christian thinking. We're engaged in spiritual warfare and you've got to prepare your mind. We're also called on in Scripture to think as an antidote to worry. I've just spoke about that a moment ago, about worry a moment ago. But in that passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Consider the lilies of the field. In other words, 
think. Think about the lilies. If God so clothed them which are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, so, so consider, again, consider your value to God as opposed to the rest of the created order. When you think about your value to God, it helps. If God looks after these things, he'll look after us. Also, we're called on in Scripture to think as an antidote to carnality. In Colossians 3, one of the last messages in Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1, Paul talks about setting our minds on those things that are above. Not setting our minds on the things of this world. Not setting our minds on the things of the flesh. But setting our minds on the things above. If we start setting our minds on the things of the world and of the flesh, we're going to start doing those things. We're also called to think as an expression of our love for God. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. The Jews would go into worship and they would repeat the Shema every, every service. But Jesus is adding the mind to that, that we're to love God also with all of our mind. We're called on to think as a means of renewal. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How does this renewal happen? By reprogramming our minds on the Word of God. We've grown up thinking like the world. Daily we are bombarded with messages from the world. The world has indoctrinated us. And the result of that, Ephesians 2 says, we are darkened in our understanding. But then when we get saved, God transforms us. But folks, we need to be in the Word of God so that 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 we might be saved, we might be transformed, but we might still be filled with those thinking patterns we've had all our lives. And so we need to be immersing ourselves in the Word of God so that we can begin thinking like God would have us to think. Psalm 1 says we're to meditate on God's Word day and night. We're to be renewed, we're to be transformed. Show you how different the world's thinking is from our thinking. If somebody slugs you in the mouth, what, what does the flesh say? Slug them back. What did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. Radically different ways of thinking. The world's way and God's way. We learn God's ways from studying His Word. We also see that we're called to think as an avenue to peace. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. As we keep our minds stayed on him, he'll put us in perfect peace. God is a God of peace, and as we, as we keep our minds and our thinking on Him, we'll have peace because He will give us of Himself, and He has peace. 
And so again, you see, we're to engage our minds for the glory of God. And it will not happen if you're casual about it. There's an aggressive nature to it. Paul said to the Corinthians that you've got to take every thought captive to Christ. You see, if you just let your thoughts drift, what are they going to do? They're going to drift. They're going to be aimless. But where to take them captive to Christ. Well, what does he say is to be the objects of our thinking? Look again at this list in verse 8. Powerful, powerful list. He says, first of all, we are to dwell or think on things that are true. Things that are true. I, I, when I think of truth, I think of the way Major General Lew Wallace became a Christian. He had fought in the Mexican War and the Civil War. He later became the ambassador to Turkey and the governor to New Mexico. One day he was traveling on a train with Robert Ingersoll, a man who disdained the Christian faith. Ingersoll said to him that within only a few years, the little white churches of Wallace's uh, beloved Indiana countryside would only be a memory buried in the general crush of all religion. Well, Lou Wallace was too ignorant over Christianity to answer uh, those charges and so he decided that he would start studying the scripture and come to his own convictions and conclusions and after a time he bowed before Jesus Christ and he became a Christian and he subsequently went on to write the novel Ben-Hur. Ingersoll challenged him to think whether Christianity was true or not. And when he did, what happened? He became a Christian. Folks, Christians don't have to be afraid of truth. All truth is God's truth. We need to dwell on things in the world that are true. And we need to renounce things that are false and deceptive. And we need to turn away from things that we know are lies. Remember what Jesus said about the devil? He is a liar and he is the father of lies. But God is the God of truth. Dwell on things that are true. Don't waste your energy dwelling on things that are questionable. Dwell on things that are true. And, and that ought to begin with dwelling here again on God's Word. Things that are honorable is the next word Paul uses. This word refers to things that are worthy of respect, things that have value. We need to realize that life is short and we need to dwell on things that have value and are honorable. Don't trade a day of your life thinking about things that ultimately have no value, no honor. John MacArthur points out that this word means not giving your thoughts and your energies of your life to that which is trivial and temporal. And much that takes place in the world today, we see people spending their time and money and energy on that which is meaningless. Don't get to the end of your life and that becomes your testimony. No wonder Jesus said, lay up your treasures in heaven. 
Dwell on things that are honorable. Thirdly, he says things that are just. Expositor Albert Barnes notes that this word has to do with men's actions toward men. Men are to be just and right in their dealings with one another. We're to be just and honest in in all of our business dealings and in all of our life. We're not to be cheats. We're to be honest with the government, just with the government, pay what we're supposed to pay. Barnes talks just in everything else how we treat people. Barnes Barnes says that talks about the damage we do to God's kingdom if men that we are around all week long see us unjust in all of our business dealings, and then they see us go into the house of God on Sunday and pretend to worship. We need to be just in all of our dealings with people. Is there anybody that we've not done right by? Have we been unjust? Have we cheated anybody? Have we wronged anybody? He says we need to be just. Then he says we're to dwell on things that are pure. Folks, we live in such an X-rated culture. Everything out there. In Ephesians 5 verse 3, Paul says, Sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. What about your reading material? What about your viewing material? All of that is their purity. Paul says, let your mind dwell on things that are pure. Then he says things that are lovely, things that have intrinsic beauty to them is the Greek word. It has a very broad application. It can refer to a host of things in the world that that, uh, the masses would look to and and anybody can conclude that it's high and holy and something worthy of treasuring. You know, while there are a lot of things that have to do with preferences, there are also a lot of things in the world that people see, and it's just something lovely. It might be something lovely in art. It might be something lovely in creation. It's things that just lift the spirit. New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce says it's things that give pleasure to all and distaste to none. Things that are lovely. Dwell on things that are lovely. Then he says things that are commendable. How about your thought life? could, Could that be commendable to others? Could your thoughts be broadcast on the big screen and you would say, follow my pattern. Think about what I'm thinking about. Now I want you to notice how Paul sums up this list. He doesn't suppose for a moment that he's given an exhaustive list. And so he adds a couple of thoughts at the end. Notice notice what he does there. If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think on these things. He adds a couple of words there that can just kind of cover everything. Now, as we look at verse 8, we see that this is like a filter through which all of our thoughts should pass. 
All of your thoughts this way. Could, could you lay down verse 8 here? Could you lay it alongside of all of your thoughts? All of your thoughts this week, would they mesh with what he's saying in verse 8 here? You see, this is the filter. If something is present in your life that doesn't make it through the filter, don't do what a lot of people do. What do a lot of people do? Throw away the filter. <laughs> don't throw away the filter. Throw away whatever it is that doesn't make it through the filter. And in verse 9, Paul does an astounding thing. He holds up his own life as an example. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. It's a reminder we can't just say, do what I say, but rather do what I do. Look at my life. Look at my life. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Could you say that? Could you say that to your kids and your grandkids and your friends? Whatever you see me do, whatever you hear me say, whatever you see me think about, whatever you see me dwell on, let my life be a pattern for what you're to be doing. Could you say that? That's what he's doing here. And notice what he says the reward will be. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? Before, when he was talking on prayer, he talked about the peace of God that you'll get. But here he's talking about something even better than that. The God of peace. Not only do you get the virtue, the peace of God, but you get a strengthened relationship with God himself. You get the God of peace. See how wonderful that is? Paul's saying, if you obey this, you'll know better the God of peace. And so again, in these three, six, seven, eight, nine, these four verses here, he's given us a pattern about our prayer life and our thought life. Our prayer life and our thought life and how our prayer life and our thought life will impact the joy that we have in life how about your prayer life what are some things right now that you're worried about again make a prayer list jot those things down some people say, I just, I just don't know what I, I need to be praying about. <laughs> You've probably got enough worries in your life you could be praying about. Jot those things. Make those things a point of intercession instead of worrying. And again, thanking God for even the bad because it may be the bad that God's using the most in your life to grow you. Do that this year. Think of everything you worried about this last year. Maybe as we've gone into this new year, you're already beginning to worry about some of those same things. Start praying about those things this year instead of worrying about them. I know it's
it's easier said than done, but do it and see if God doesn't give you peace about those things. And again, jot down these virtues in verse 8. You ought to jot them down. You could have them in the fly leaf of your Bible, carry them on a note card, tape them to your steering wheel, whatever. Your thought life through the day. What you're thinking on, do these virtues he lists out in verse 8, would your thoughts pass through that as a filter? If not, cast it aside. Be done with it. Amen? Remember, your thought life is critical. Because you're going to start becoming whatever you're dwelling on in your thoughts. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, your thought life. Your prayer life expresses what you think about God. Do you know that he's sovereign and in control? And how about your thought life? If you're thinking on things that would pass through the filter, you're going to become a more lovely person. Discipline. Discipline in our prayer life and our thought life. The very thing most of us struggle with, the daily discipline to do it. That's why I say write it down. Write it down and every day think about, pray about those things that you're worried about and use verse 8 as a filter to what you're thinking on. Keep it in front of your eyes every day. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that consistent prayer and consecrated thinking would certainly be two characteristics of our lives in this current year that we've just begun. Lord, that not just what people see on the outside, but what's on the inside would become more virtuous and lovely and beautiful. Because what's on the inside will start bleeding through to what's on the outside. Lord, forgive us for a lack of discipline in our prayer life and a lack of discipline in our thought life. We have wandered aimlessly in both of these areas. So many times we get up, we get out the door, we don't take time to pray. We worry through the day instead of stopping and realizing to whom we belong. We wander aimlessly through the day with our thought life. And we never stop to think about the fact that what we're dwelling on may be making us impure and unlovely. Forgive us. Give us strength. We pray these things in Jesus' name.